Hey folks, this is Riley with a quick announcement before we kick off today's episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast. I just wanted to update you with some things going on with regards to the podcast. This These last several weeks have been very inconsistent uh, with the podcast getting out there and released and published and all that. And I want you to know first and foremost, I apologize for all of that. Things have been a little bit hectic here at the uh, uh, home base and uh Concealed Carry Podcast headquarters, but uh, we're working to get back on track, and uh, this week we will be releasing two episodes that uh, will be episodes number 239 and 240, a news episode and, of course, a, a weekly topical episode as well. So these will be kicked off next week. We should be more or less back on track. I just wanted to give you the heads up. So with that, appreciate you all for being such uh, avid supporters and listeners to the podcast. Without your support, it wouldn't be possible. Take care and enjoy listening to today's episode. This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 239. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, today joined by Mr. Matthew Marister. Hey, Riley, how are you? I'm fantastic, man. You I'm sound so, fantastic. I'm, I'm excited. You know, I'm back in the seat. I'm back in the chair, in the home base, you know. The I'm excited. Location. I'm excited to see you tomorrow and, and uh, get down there. Of course. Yeah, it's going to be a fun, uh, fun weekend here. Of course, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we uh, are coming. I'm coming to Cincinnati. Well, I guess you are too because you you don't live in Cincinnati. So we are coming to Cincinnati, Ohio tomorrow in preparation for the class that starts on Friday. And you know what, guys? If you still, if you can make the class, we still have like one or two seats left. I think before we hit max capacity, I mean, it's basically a pretty, it's a good sized class um, considering the range that we're teaching it at. Uh, they have just, just a perfect little pistol bay available for us. We can still fit one or two more on, on that range. So, Hey, you know what? If you're listening to this today or watching this today, uh, it's short notice. Maybe it's the first time you heard of it. Hopefully not. Cause we talked about it for like a month or so, <laughs> but uh, starting Friday of this week, we are kicking off the Triple Guardian uh, course uh, there in Cincinnati at the Impact uh, was Impact Shooting Center. Yep, yep. Yeah. Impact Shooting. Cle- uh, I think this actual town is Cleves, Ohio, just out of Cincinnati. Yeah, west side of Cincy. So uh, super excited. Like I said, we've got one or two spots. Uh, last minute, if you want to hop in, head on over to, what was the link? Concealedcarry.com forward slash... Let's see. It's been a couple of weeks. Ohio Triple Guardian 2018, I think, is what it was. I'll make sure that works. <laughs> You're always good with the links. I'm terrible with the remembering. Oh, I don't know if I'm always good with them. Ohio. Let's try that. Ohio Triple Guardian 2018. Cross fingers. Wave a magic wand. I think that's. I think that's the link. All right. Yep, that's the link. Perfect. So anyway, last minute sign up. We can still take one or two more of you. Uh, super reasonable co- uh, course price-wise for three days of awesome training. Lunch is provided each of the three days. We'll have snacks and drinks and world-class training for you to learn. Uh, 
So come and join us there at the Impact Shooting Center in West Cincinnati, Ohio. This Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, July, what is that, 13th, 14th, 15th? Yes, sir. Yep, there you go. ConcealedCarry.com forward slash guardian, excuse me, Ohio Triple Guardian 2018 to get get information and get signed up today. Uh, last call for that for sure because uh, by, by the next episode, that class will be done and over with pretty much. So um, other sponsors of today's episode, we have an exciting new product uh, just announced and launched last week. In fact, two new free online training courses from concealedcarry.com, a grip development course with Mike Hughes of Next Level Trainer, Next Level Training. Uh, he is a firearms trainer, obviously, a contestant on Top Shot, on History Channel's Top Shot, uh, a grandmaster uh former grandmaster USPSA shooter. I don't know that he still holds that rank, that uh, rating anymore, but it doesn't matter. He's still a heck of a shot. I guarantee you that. This guy understands how to grip a pistol well. And uh, yes, he's also strong. And yes, strength is, is a good thing to have where it comes to grip, but technique is also incredibly important. And this is a great course to learn all of the appropriate techniques learning how to grip and use a handgun effectively. ConcealedCarry.com forward slash grip course, G-R-I-P-C-O-U-R-S-E. ConcealedCarry.com forward slash grip course. Get signed up today. It's a free course. So just check it out. You'll enjoy it, I'm sure. You'll learn a lot. Also, we have another free online training course in conjunction with John Wallace of Shooters Technology Group, formerly known as the LASR uh, company, uh, they still make the LASR or laser app software. They've rebranded to the Shooters Technology Group. And John Wallace, is he, he is the man where it comes to dry fire training and dry fire tools. So a multi-module uh, dry fire training program, concealedcarry.com forward slash dry fire course, D-R-Y-F-I-R-E-C-O-U-R-S-E, concealedcarry.com forward slash dry fire course. Go check out those two free online courses. Yours free, seriously. There's no, I mean, I think you kind of, you go through the online store at concealedcarry.com to get signed up for those, but you'll see that the price is $0. So fill that out, get signed up, bam, you'll have access to that, to to both of those free courses. So anyway, those are our episode sponsors for today. And uh, we do appreciate having sponsors, even if it is ourselves, meaning concealedcarry.com. <laughs> but your support of concealedcarry.com, any of our sponsors, et cetera, et cetera, support this podcast and allow us to keep doing what we do here. So with that, Matthew, I think we got to get into the news stories. And uh, speaking of which, normally we'd have at this point this week's case of the week with attorney Andrew Branca of the Law of Self-Defense. But uh, there was not a case of the week produced for this week since he, I think he took some time off as well. <laughs> right, so, right. <laughs> we'll be back with case of the week next week. And I'm excited for that. I don't know if he's going to do the case. I think, I think he might. I don't know. There, there was just recently in the last week a, a, a state-level Supreme Court case here in Colorado that has some pretty interesting uh, ramifications for self-defense in Colorado. And, you know, could potentially have ramifications elsewhere because, you know, it's interesting. I read the entire uh, decision 
from the uh, Supreme Court, Matthew. It's like 35 pages. Right. It was really fascinating. It's, it's, it is the best breakdown of self-defense law that I've ever seen. Um, and, and this comes from a, from a Supreme Court case. Uh, it, it just, it, the, the judges walk you through the elements of self-defense, basically, as far as like what's got to be there or what could excuse you from being able to use self-defense as a uh, defense. And it's, it's just done very well. So that case, I, I, I'm pretty sure Andrew will be talking about that soon. And what was interesting is that these are, these are Colorado Supreme Court justices and they reference not necessarily as like, well, because of this and this and this and these other states, we are ruling this way, but they reference situations in other states. They reference something in Texas. They reference something, I don't remember what other state. And that's, so when I talk about, you know, with these cases of the week from Andrew Branca that he a lot of times shares and it's state level cases, um, why that could have ramifications for you in a totally different state is because these justices aren't stupid and they're looking at and paying attention to what's going on elsewhere. And whether they intend for it to or not, it can potentially influence their thinking, okay, when it comes to interpreting law in your state. So anyway, um, no case of the week this week, but uh, we got a lot of news to cover. So you're not going to be missing out, uh, including some incredible uh, legislative updates as well. So first up, we have a story out of Idaho. This according to the NRAILA.org website. Uh, title of the, of the uh, article is Idaho, Important Self-Defense Law Now in Effect. And this... Um, comes from my home state of Idaho, and I'm glad to see this because it's, it's a good thing. <laughs> um, in Idaho, up until recently, I mean, Idaho, Idaho you know, had a castle doctrine, like many states do, meaning that there's not a duty to retreat inside of a home to use deadly force, okay? But in Idaho you had to have a reasonable belief or fear that an intruder in the home might cause death or great bodily harm. And so this bill, the Senate Bill 1313, which was sponsored by State Senator Todd Lakey of District 12, um, he, this got passed through and signed into law by the governor and went into effect this week, this last week on July 1st, and what this changed is, it, it says right here, the unlawful or forceful entry is now enough to establish a legal presumption that the defender's fear of serious injury was reasonable, and therefore the defense against the criminal is reasonable as well. Um, so this brings it more in line with a number of other states, including Colorado. It might actually be a little bit more liberal than Colorado even. Colorado has a pretty good Castle Doctrine law where if you have an intruder, and you also believe that they might cause physical harm against you or an occupant, no matter how slight that harm might be, then you may use deadly force. Uh, this is basically saying something very similar. So, so I applaud the state of Idaho for um, taking these steps to, you know, I, I think, you know, because I think of it this way, Matthew, this is my home. 
And it's not the home that I'm concerned about protecting. It's me and or my family, the occupants of this home. And if somebody is willing to break into or come into my home unlawfully, then I am going to assume, I mean, it's not like I automatically pull the trigger, right? Like we still need to be using the brain up here and and thinking critically that, oh, hey, you know, like if you had somebody that was totally, you know, under the influence of drugs or alcohol and they're just whacked out, but they're not necessarily acting aggressively or threatening towards you, like, do you need to shoot them? Probably not, you know? I mean, could you legally? Probably but still, you know, I'm going to use the critically thinking brain here and, and my morals, my convictions say, yeah, I, I, I still really don't want to shoot somebody. But I'll tell you, if it is someone that's clear that they are coming into the home to do something to harm, you know, somebody in my home or whatever, then by golly, you know, they're, <laughs> they, they are not going to have a, a good ending to their day. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I agree with that totally. You know, you're, you should be most secure in your home, right? I mean, that's why you're most secure from the government. They have to get warrants to come, you know, the burden is high to uh, be able to come and search your home for anybody because that's, that's your sanctuary that you should be uh, very secure in your own home and anybody forcing entry into your home. Um, you know, like you said, there's times where it's, they, they break into the wrong home because they're intoxicated or whatnot. And it happens all the time. Um, but that's probably, um, you know, most people should be able to identify somebody who's, you know, broken into the wrong home or forced their way into a, into the wrong home rather than somebody who's in there to do harm. Um, and, and to not be, not to, to put such a high burden of proof on or, or high standard on the person in their own home to show that that person is there to cause uh, serious bodily injury is, I, I think is a little extreme inside the home, but so that, yeah, it's, it's a good, it's a good, uh, good thing for, uh, for Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. Or Idaho, you mean? Idaho. Sorry. Idaho. You'd be surprised how often that happens to an Idaho. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I'm from Idaho. Oh, Iowa, like where they grow corn and stuff. And no, you're like, potatoes. Well, we still grow corn in Idaho. Pretty good corn. Not to the extent of, I- of Iowa, but yeah, we're known for the potatoes. Well, I'm thinking of Big Ten stuff. So potatoes I, you know, I was in <laughs> barley. People don't realize uh, there's a lot of barley. Huh. Coors and Anheuser Busch are the like they buy a lot of barley from Idaho. Huh. <laughs> yep, it's imagine cool. that. So anyway, hey, a great legislative uh, legislative update out of Idaho. Uh, here's one out of California. Uh, this so. Six years ago, it says here, and this is an article on sanfrancisco.cbslocal.com. Uh, it says, California bullet button gun registry process bogs down as deadline looms. It says that six years ago, um, it was uh, the local news affiliate here, Channel 5, that they were the first to expose a workaround in California's gun laws that allowed military-style rifles like the AR-15 to proliferate in the state. <laughs> I love how they start this article. Yeah. We exposed this loophole. <laughs> Actually, what it was, was, you know, a law was passed and the free market went, hmm, well, the law says this. And we came up with a creative way of 
staying within the bounds of the law. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not a loophole. <laughs> anyway, so um, it says here that now those guns are considered assault weapons because they, they have now passed law that the bullet button is no longer um, like you. It's yeah, you, <laughs> it's not legal anymore. Uh, the, these types of weapons have to be registered. Okay. Currently law in California re- only requires registry for handguns. Uh, but now that they've added to that assault weapons must also be registered. Uh, it says here, take Jay Jacobson. He's a gun manufacturer, so he knows his firearms. Yet his attempt to register some personal rifles on the California state website has him stumped. He showed us one example. One of the firearms he is trying to register got kicked back three times. And if you're looking at this article, and I'll share my screen for those that are participating on Facebook today. If you're looking at this article, you'll actually see uh, he's holding one of these rifles that uh, he's talking about, okay? And this has got one of the Magpul, um, I think it's the MSR, or no, not MSR. What's, um, maybe it is MSR. I can't remember. Anyway, it's one of those stocks that, uh, or PRS stock. Yeah, anyway, it's one of these stocks that uh, it's not, it's not a uh, uh, what's a telescoping stock necessarily. Um, it's basically a fixed stock, but you can adjust. I was trying to find uh, what it's called. I'm too slow here. Oh well, it doesn't matter. Um, back to the article here. Uh, it, you can adjust minutely, like you're talking like maybe a half inch. You, it, it already has basically a pretty long length uh, to the stock, right? It's like a, it's like any other telescoping stock in its max position almost. And you can lengthen the the butt of that stock about another half inch, and you can raise the cheek piece so you get a better cheek weld, depending on your optics that you're using and and whatnot, right? So you see that here, okay? That's what he's talking about. He's tried to register this rifle on the state website, but it gets kicked back because he thinks that they are classifying that as a telescoping stock. (laughs) This is the stupidity of when we get government getting involved in ridiculous laws and rules like this, right? Where we start classifying uh, 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 aesthetics, you know, the way a gun looks (laughs) as opposed to anything that has any sort of bearing at all on on how effective the gun is. I mean, like all of these guns are almost equally capable of causing the same amount of of damage, right? But assault weapons uh, with these uh, uh, aesthetic characteristics such as flash hider, uh, pistol grip, <laughs> telescoping stock, bayonet, bayonet lug. lug. <laughs> like who the crap even uses a bayonet lug? And even if they did, like who gives a crap, right? Like, oh, I could put a bayonet on my rifle. <laughs> that makes it way more deadlier. How about you just like, like, Hmm, let me think. If I if I have to resort to using the bayonet on my rifle, <laughs> then then I got a problem. Like the rifle is way more deadly in the hands of somebody when it's functioning as a rifle. It's a terrible stick to be sticking somebody with a bayonet. <laughs> For the most part, unless you're in like, you know, a foxhole or you're fighting hand to hand combat and but other than that, I mean yeah, it, it. I mean, guns themselves are dangerous. We all. I mean, that's they're they're deadly weapons. You can use them to kill. You can use them for sport, but they are dangerous. Um, 
putting a bayonet doesn't make it or having the lug itself there able to uh, uh, you know affix a bayonet to it doesn't make the gun inherently any more dangerous it's just <laughs> completely I, I just wish the people that made the, the past legislation understood what they were talking about it just would help it would really help if they understood what they were talking about um but obviously they don't yeah yep so anyway, what's going on here is that there's a deadline, uh, which this story is actually, so we were going to talk about this like a week or two ago, but we didn't quite get around to it. So the deadline was actually June 30th when people had to have these assault weapons registered in the state of California by, um, and, and it's, it's specifically these semi-automatic rifles with, with the bullet button feature. Um, they were legal before. Uh, because they required obviously like a tool or the tip of a bullet to actually exchange a magazine. And there was creative ways that guys were, you know, figuring out how they could, you know, still change magazines quickly on these rifles, even though the, the magazine, you know, release had to be fixed. So anyway, the point is you have government involved in something that they shouldn't be involved in. We all know this, preaching to the choir here, and they're screwing it up. They can't even get their registration system to work properly. Uh, they they are uh, not allowing certain things to, to go through because of certain features, which may not even be accurate uh, as to what those features might be. So there you go. That's what's going on in California. Moving on now to uh, Matthew, why don't you talk about uh, this one here, dispatch.com, the Columbus Dispatch, because this is, this is, this is your uh, this is your territory. Yeah. Group tied to Bloomberg helping city fight gun regulations lawsuit. Yeah. Well, we talked about this yesterday um, or not yesterday uh, in the past news episode about preemption and about um, a law that Columbus, uh, the, the city in, in Ohio, Columbus um, is trying to pass in, in their ban of bump stocks. And we talked about preemption and how, um, you know, the, the, the city laws should not be able to be more restrictive than the state law because then it, it creates these little, you know, zones of, of problems where you're driving through and, and you don't, you may be in violation of a law just because uh, of, you know, the exact location of that city boundary. Um, and so we talked about that last, last episode. Well, um, now uh, Bloomberg supported uh, or Bloomberg is supporting the city in its defense against the lawsuits um, filed saying that these this law is um, is against preemption and, and it's again it's not constitutional so of course every town for gun safety um, Michael Bloomberg um, they're all supporting um, the the city in defending against Ohioans for concealed carry Buckeye Firearms Association um, and other you know groups in Ohio to fight these laws or this law specifically. So it's not surprising. I mean, they they do that, but it shows the length that I mean that th these groups will go out to um, fight you know uh, ordinances and legislation in in any state. So it's not just you know New York or California. It's it's all over. Yeah. So. Um. Oh, sorry. I wasn't sure if you had just cut out or what. So, yeah. Um, and I talked, obviously, about the issues here in Colorado where a weak Supreme Court, had, I mean, basically because we had a weak Supreme Court that refused to 
lay down the law where it comes to preemption in the state of Colorado. Now we've got cities like Denver and Boulder. Now Boulder is also going through the same thing where they're being sued over their recent uh, laws that were uh, passed or, or city ordinances that were passed in Boulder uh, with regards to assault weapons and uh, mag capacities because I think they limited them to 10 rounds and, and bump stocks. Uh, but now we've got these cities here that are emboldened to pass laws like this because the state's preemption doesn't mean anything. The cities are free to usurp the state constitution. Uh, which is, that's insane. So that's that's basically what you're seeing here in, in Columbus. Uh, so they passed these similar laws there in Columbus. Bump stocks were banned and they're facing these lawsuits. So, well, we'll, we'll uh, keep following that along and see uh, what all happens there. And uh, you're, you're our eyes and ears on the ground there, Mr. Yeah. Mr. Marister. Uh, so yeah. keep, keep us surprised. I will for sure. Yeah, cool. So next up, um, I'm having some computer issues here, so bear with me. Things are like, they just all sudden ground to a halt. Um, next story, as soon as it comes up, <laughs> this is, uh, Washington Times. Yep. Feds say uh, Oklahoma medical marijuana, marijuana users can't possess guns. Uh, that's consistent with what the feds are saying nationwide, okay? Uh, so it says here, this is on WashingtonTimes.com. Federal officials say Oklahoma residents with medical marijuana cards will be prohibited from attaining gun permits following a recent decision by voters to approve the medical use of the drug. Let's be clear about something real quick here. They just talked about gun permits. I'm not sure what gun permits they're talking about. I'm assuming maybe they're referring to actual concealed carry permits or they're just talking about gun purchases. This is where the media sucks, right? Because they, they don't understand the nuances of all the different uh, approvals and background checks and permits that surround anything to do with, you know, firearm purchases or carrying. So, uh, but it doesn't matter. That's my point is that uh, right now, federal law says that if you are a marijuana user, doesn't really matter the reason why. Your state may have legalized it for medical purposes. Your state may have legalized it for recreational purposes, but federally they're still saying, uh-uh, you can't have guns. Yeah. Right. It, it, yeah. And I wrote, I wrote an article, I don't know, maybe two years ago about this because I saw the writing on the wall. Right. And yeah. like, and the problem is, is that, you know, and I, I'm taking my, my personal stance on, you know, is marijuana good? Is it, you know, medicine? I, I don't even, I don't even care about that argument. If you put it aside, um, the, the argument that I keep getting from people, you know, the kickback I get on this article, just trying to explain the, the kind of the dot, the, the problems, the kind of sticky situation it puts you in when you get a, a medical marijuana license through the state. And they'll, they'll come up and say, oh, so you're saying that it's okay to drink alcohol and, and you know, marijuana is better than alcohol. And I'm like, I'm not saying <laughs> uh, you should drink alcohol and have gun. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying, this is what's going on. This is the law, how it currently stands. And when you do these things, you, you, expose yourself to possibly giving up um, rights without knowing it. And, and yeah. so, you know, you might say, you know, it's my medicine, it's my, that's totally, you know, that's fine. But I'm just saying that, 
you know, if you go to purchase a firearm and you sign the form and now it's changed to say, you know, exactly like you said, whether or not your state has legalized it or not. And you, you basically say no, but you do have a medical marijuana license and you use it. Um, you, you're committing perjury on that form. And so you're putting yeah. yourself in, in a bad situation. So it's just a sticky situation. And until, until the you know Supreme Court starts picks us up or it, it changes the schedule of the gun that the drug that marijuana or whatnot it's going to remain a very sticky situation for gun owners yeah agreed um, you know I, I think personally I'm, I'm kind of you know I've been in uh, I've been in Colorado now for almost a decade and uh, you know so we were one of the first states to pass uh, medical marijuana. And of course, not one of the first states to pass recreational marijuana. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's been both um, not, it's been both not as bad as expected, but also it's been probably worse than expected in some regards too, you know, as far as, you, you know, the, the, the proponents of marijuana, particularly on the recreational side, would have you believe that there's nothing bad that's going to happen to our society and to our communities from fully legalizing marijuana. Uh, that's not what we're seeing at all. Um, in fact, I personally believe the media here locally is burying or refusing to investigate some of the, uh, uh, you know, downsides, some of the negative things that are occurring in our communities due to marijuana being so prevalent in, here in Colorado. Uh, but that's beside the point where we're talking about here, the guns thing. Um, I can kind of see someone where, you know, okay, they, they are a medical marijuana user and they have a very good or legitimate reason to, to use that. And, you know, like, is it fair to take away their second amendment rights, which are pretty basic rights secured in the bill of rights? Is it fair to take from someone in that, um, uh, in that category, you know, a med- particularly a medical marijuana user, is it fair to take their Second Amendment rights away? And I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, and I, I, I'm not so sure it is uh, uh, fair to to necessarily do that because we're talking about a pretty pretty big thing here. You know, when we're stripping Second Amendment rights from people, um, that said, it places responsibility on the user to just like with, with alcohol to make sure that they're doing so uh, responsibly and appropriately. So if they are under the influence of marijuana, they should be not having a gun in their possession. Uh, Just like if you are drinking alcohol, it is not a good idea to have a gun uh, on your person. So that's kind of where I'm at with it these days. Um, Feds don't agree with that. That's fine. Um, that's that's totally fine. This is this is this is what we are dealt with when our states pass laws that go against what federal laws, you know, uh, have in place. Um, so I don't know. You know, it's interesting though. I think what the F, what, what the FDA has done recently, just like a week or two or three ago, you know, where the FDA is actually now has now approved for the first clinical trials some marijuana-based drugs. So I don't know whether, I don't know exactly what those drugs look like or what kind, but, but these are like professionally, scientifically, you know, uh, extracted drugs from the all, supposedly all the good things that are in marijuana. 
that can help people. That's right. to me how that should be handled. <laughs> I mean, there's been Marinol <laughs> pills. To, like I'm, 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 you know, not, not to, this is maybe not fair to say, cause I think, you know, someone dying from cancer, you know what, I'm not going to get all worked up over somebody that, that's going to smoke marijuana or something. That's probably not the norm though, uh, because they're, they're dying from cancer. Like, you know, you're dying from cancer, like knock yourself out, buddy. Um, but, uh, anyway, sorry, I cut you off, man. No, no, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, um, if you're using, you know, um, opiates, you know, you're on Vicodin or Percocet or something, obviously yeah. you shouldn't, you shouldn't, it's a, it's a prescription drug for something and, and you shouldn't be, you know, walking around getting high on the, the medication and carrying your firearm. It's, it's not only is it unsafe for the people around you, but it's unsafe for you. You're not making, you know, you can't make those, those clear, um, you know, concise decisions. So I, I, I agree. I think that just the problem is, is whether or not we agree, you and I, or, or, or every other gun owner that marijuana has some sort of medical purpose, it's because it's, it's scheduled. And, you know, until that schedule is changed and it's accepted as, as medicine by the federal government, it's still illegal. So people have to understand that. And so I just, I agree totally. Um, I know, you know, I know that marijuana can help certain people. I just don't think that, um, that it's being used by everybody that uses it, it is necessarily in need of it. And, um, those people are the people that I would, I was mainly trying to reach out to, to say, if you're doing this for recreation, or if you're just getting a medical marijuana license, because you want to recreationally use it, but you want to be covered under, uh, you know, a medical license, um, you should think twice about it. Those people that are using it for, for cancer and things like that, of course, I mean, the last thing they can, they're, they're worried about is somebody taking away their, their second amendment, right? I mean, they might only have you know, a month or six months to live. Right. So uh, those, I don't think those people are too concerned. It's those people that got it it, 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 because they wanted to be covered legally and now are falling or finding out that it's, it's becoming more troublesome in other areas. So. Yeah. Yep. Well, anyway, uh, we'll continue to see more like, you know, situations like this uh, come, come up as more and more states uh, legalize uh, marijuana, whether medically or recreationally. We'll see, continue to see more challenges uh, to, to the federal laws uh, from states like this on, on this very issue. So good, something good to be aware of. And uh, it's one of those repercussions that people probably don't think about when they're even you know, even pro Second Amendment people, they're, they're maybe not even thinking about uh, the the potential downsides, the consequences that might arise by uh, passing marijuana-related laws and potentially affecting people's Second Amendment rights. Um, okay, so here's a really um, intriguing story from the Daily Wire. Uh, this was reported a number of different sources, but uh, this one had, in my opinion, one of the better summaries of, of what actually happened here. And some, some of you are perhaps aware of this gentleman by the name of Cody Wilson that uh, a few years ago kind of started making headlines because, he, you know, he's kind of a tech geek. Like, you know, he, he got it, He jumped on board with all this 3D printing technology and he was designing and creating and hosting files 
of 3D models of various guns and gun parts that people could download. And you, you, you know, you could do this right from his website is basically like a cloud sourced um, community where you could download files compatible with your 3D printer and print a receiver, print a gun. He made news when he printed, you know, made the first ever 3D printed gun that actually functioned. And it, you know, they, they called it the Liberator in honor of the original Liberator, which was a very simple gun uh, that was uh, made in, I believe it was World War II, um, that was intended to be distributed to those uh, kind of behind enemy lines. So they had a, a means, a basic means with where they could defend or themselves or fight the enemy. Um, so this was a, a very simplistic single shot firearm, but it was all 3D printed. Pretty crazy stuff. And I think it just fired a 22. You know, no, no surprise there. Like nothing like is going to be 3D printed and made from plastic that's going to be very high powered at all. So he was sued and threatened by the State Department and other federal agencies because, hey, you can't put these files out there. Like people are just going to be making guns all over the place. All this 3D printer technology is getting cheaper by the day and people are just going to be printing guns and we're going to have all these ghost guns out in the streets. The world's going to end, <laughs> you know? Um, basically what happened here is that this, he's, he has arrived at a, uh, a, an agreement, a settlement with the State Department, and the settlement is almost all entirely in his favor. In other words, the State Department just said, you know what? We're done here. <laughs> we can't suppress information. <laughs> And that's basically what it came down to is there was this big, you know, he, he was arguing that this is a first amendment thing. Like this is, this is free speech essentially. And uh, um, yeah, so it, this is quite re- a remarkable thing, but what really got my attention, Matthew is reading the verbiage of the settlement. And I'd share my screen so people could follow along with me on this, but uh, I don't think, like I said, there's some, struggles with the computer right now. It's acting pretty wonky, so I'm going to try not to overload it. But it says here in the settlement, quote, the government expressly acknowledges that non-automatic firearms up to 50 caliber, including modern semi-auto sporting rifles, such as the popular AR-15 and similar firearms, are not inherently military, end quote. Boom. Boom. That's kind of fascinating. This is this is the federal government acknowledging, clarifying, stating that small arms, so stuff up to, you know, smaller than and up to 50 caliber that is not automatic, so, but including semi-automatic weapons, um, such as the AR-15, they're not, they are not military arms. And essentially thus not covered by some of the regulations that the State Department was concerned about and thus not really giving them a good case with which to continue to pursue Mr. Wilson. So I'm curious, your thoughts, Matthew, I'm curious about our listeners' thoughts as well. What do you think this means for the anti-gunners out there that are constantly coming at us and saying, 
why do you need these military grade firearms? <laughs> Everyone declared them as not being military grade. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think, I don't think definitions mean much when in their arguments, right? If they, if definitions and reality meant, meant anything to these people, um, their, their arguments would be, you know, squashed a long time ago. I think they're still going to, they're still going to call them, uh, what they, what they want military grade. Oh, you know what I mean? That's what, you know, w- when you point out, you know, the difference between semi-automatic and automatic, Oh, you know what I mean? Well, no, you don't know what you mean, you know? And it's like, so I think they're still going to conflate the two terms and things like that. But I do think that this is going to be huge. Um, and you know, I think, um, and you know, I don't want to get ahead in, into the next story, but I think this verbiage is going to be referenced in upcoming challenges to, um, states restricting gun laws or, gun, uh, you know, enacting more gun control. And I think that w- when cases get up to the Supreme court, um, you know, that this type of verbiage and definition of what makes a military style weapon or whatnot um, is going to be going to be important. And it it might come back to something like this, you know, reference something like this. Yeah. How is this for a shot across the bow of the NRA? This is a quote from Cody Wilson here that I thought was kind of interesting. He was uh, talking with the daily wire in a phone interview and he said this, I barely put a million bucks into this and I got you the second amendment forever. (laughs) What has the NRA done for you lately? (laughs) This guy is quite a, quite a character, you know, Uh, this also stood out to me and I don't know what to make of this uh, because he admits that, uh, let's see, I got to scroll down a little bit further. Um, he said here that if basically if the lawsuit, it, you know, if this didn't work out the way that he hoped it would work out, if it came down to the federal government was going to show up on his doorstep to take him into custody, to shut down his internet servers and all this stuff, he said this, he was ready to launch his DEFCAD repository regardless of the outcome of the lawsuit and then defend it in an armed standoff. I'd call a militia out to defend the server Bundy style. <laughs> Wilson referencing the Bundy family cattle ranches who took on the feds in 2014. That didn't end well, end well unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, our only option was to build an infrastructure where we had one final suicidal mission where we dumped everything into the internet. That's kind of, that's a kinda, little bit extreme. Yeah, it's a but little. <laughs> that's why, what I mean when I say this guy's a bit of a character. And also we definitely get a sense that he is very dedicated to the cause as far as standing up for the Second Amendment. So regardless of, of Mr. Wilson, his thoughts, his opinions, whatever, uh, this is a potentially big win for the Second Amendment, at least from where the side of where we have a federal agency saying that these small arms are not considered military arms. Um, my one thing there is that my thought process, you know, goes to the second amendment. And I think, well, actually I believe the second amendment protects the right of the people to possess arms and yes, even military grade ones, uh, meaning, 
I, you know, I mean, you look at what the people had in 1776 <laughs> and all the years that followed, they possessed the same or greater quality and technology of arms as the world's elite militaries, meaning the British at that time, especially possessed at that time. Uh, I, I don't think the intent of the forefathers was, well, governments can have military grade and the people can just have, you know, this lesser restricted version. I don't think that was the intent at all. So, you know, that's kind of an interesting sort of, you know, logical loop to think through and, and decide if there's other ramifications to a government that classifies small arms as not being military grade and whether that means that they're still protected by the second amendment. Now, on the flip side, I don't think I, I don't think most people, most average Americans even, uh, believe that the Second Amendment protects the rights of the people to possess to possess military grade weapons. Unfortunately, though that may be. Okay, got to keep moving along here. Next uh, story: Judge Kavanaugh's record on Second Amendment forward slash gun rights is the title of the story from nationalreview.com. Uh, I'm going to hand it over to you, Matthew, but basically the story goes that just a couple days ago, uh, President Trump uh, announced his proposed Supreme Court justice replacement in this Judge Brett Kavanaugh. This guy, the good news is for us as Second Amendment supporters, has a strong record being pro-Second Amendment. So what do we got, Matthew, from this guy? Yeah, so in case you haven't heard, um, uh, the, secre- uh, the Supreme Court Justice um, Donald Trump named uh, or nominated to, uh, to fill the vacancy was Judge Kavanaugh. And so it, there's been a lot of looking into this guy's record and how he's voted on different things in the past. He was a, um, a uh, federal court uh, or federal judge in D.C. and um, made a lot of rulings. So one of the ones that, that is, you know, kind of good for us, or, or if you're looking at the, the pro-gun side of uh, what his belief system is, or, you know, his concept of what, what, how he interprets the, uh, the Constitution, was the Heller decision. So uh, that's Heller versus D.C., where um, D.C. enacted a, a, a ban, and um, kind of the argument was that firearms um, were not for personal protection, that they had to be locked up in a certain in a certain way and that um it was only for military uh that the, the guns were only for military and things like that um and so K- judge kavanaugh was a dissenter on that decision that dc the dc law um and so it ended up getting overruled in in, in the u.s supreme court and they referenced um right. his his dissension um what what he had wrote in, in that overturning of that law. So basically they found that, you know, he would, so in, in, in a, in a simple way, they found that he was actually right in dissenting and in, in how he interpreted that, that law as being unconstitutional. And, and eventually it was overturned in DC uh, or Heller versus DC, which is a, is a very big um, second amendment case um, as far as gun rights are concerned. So him being on the Supreme court, 
um, in in swinging an extra, you know, a, a more conservative vote, um, and somebody who's more pro Second Amendment in their way they they interpret the Constitution or look at the Constitution means that possibly these cases that have been kind of circulating through the state Supreme Courts and and, and kind of going back and forth um, and never getting seen by the, the U.S. Supreme Court and them kind of just saying, hey, we're not going to do it, or um, people not wanting to pursue it up to that level in, in fear of the Supreme Court making a decision and not really knowing which way to go, maybe some of these cases will finally be pushed up to the Supreme Court. They will see it. And um, th- they'll be more favorably looked upon. Um, and so this is kind of, you know, a, a big, a big issue for, or a big win for, uh, now, now he hasn't been, um, confirmed, but it would be a very big win for, for yeah. gun right, uh, uh, gun supporters. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so let's keep it this in context though, that, uh, assuming he is, um, uh, pushed through the Senate, you know, that the Senate, um, votes and accepts uh, Justice Kavanaugh and he becomes the next Supreme Court justice. He's replacing Justice Anthony Kennedy, who you know announced his retirement. Um, it's not like Kennedy was anti-gun. Uh, you know, Kennedy was on, you know, he, he is generally sided with Second Amendment issues. Uh, he was on the on the right side of the issue in the D.C. versus Heller decision. So the the Supreme Court, because keep in mind that's that's what Matthews explaining here was that Kavan Justice Kavanaugh was at the lower level court, the circuit court, uh, where that case, what you know, where that base, where that case, um, I think that actually came after. So was, so <laughs> this is how this all played out, right? You actually had the Supreme Court decide in DC versus Heller and later that had to go back down to the circuit court um, with a lawsuit. And basically that's where, anyway, so I actually don't want to, I don't want to muddy the waters here. Um, My point is that Kennedy was also a generally pro two way justice. He might've been a little bit more moderate on some other issues, but on the second amendment was generally quite favorable for us, for our side. So uh, in that D.C. versus Heller decision, we had uh, Chief Justice Roberts, uh, we had uh, uh, Scalia, Kennedy, Thomas, and Alito that all, you know, were in the majority uh, decision on that. Uh, So in the last, you know, year or so or two, well, since um, President Trump came into office, we've had Gorsuch, Neil Gorsuch uh, put in right? Replacing Scalia, who was a very strong supporter of the Second Amendment. And then this would mean Kavanaugh would replace Kennedy. And I do think that that Kavanaugh is a stronger uh, uh, justice in that regard, that, that we could definitely count on him on any future potential Second Amendment issues that would come before the court. This is why elections are so key. Like, regardless of how you feel personally about a particular candidate because I'll, I mean, I'm, I'm totally okay with admitting that Trump was not my guy. He was not my pick, right? <laughs> like early on, I mean, I had, I, I would have just about picked just about anybody else besides Trump, you know, on the, on the right side of the ticket. Okay. I'm not talking about, I would be okay with picking Clinton or Bernie Sanders. I'm talking about, <laughs> In the primaries or in the uh, in the uh, 
you know, when we, when we had, let's see, we had, uh, uh, Ted, uh, what's his name from Texas? Um, Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz. And you know, all these other guys that were going up against Trump and I, I would take any of those guys <laughs> probably before Trump. But you know, at the end of the day, when it came down to Clinton and Trump, it's like, by golly, I got to, I know where I got to vote because this is the person that will be choosing two, potentially three, possibly four justices during their first four-year term. Mm-hmm. And the next most likely justice to be replaced would be Ginsburg. And that yeah. would be a huge one for us. Okay. Because she always goes against second amendment, you know, cases that come up before the court. So that's why elections have consequences and why they're so important. You know, I, I have to put aside my own personal distaste for a particular candidate and go, the bigger picture is it's not just about a president and who sits in that seat. It's about who he, what, what he can do in terms of influencing the makeup of a court that we have to live with for 20 or 30 or 40 years. Right. And, and, by, and by electing Donald Trump, you're not electing his personality. You're not saying that you agree with his personality or his tweets or, or how he speaks or his hairdo or anything like that. You're saying, where do his policies line up and where, where's, where's his, are his policies going to line up in, in relation to how I look at things and, um, and what's, the, what's the alternative? And so that, that's why I think that people kind of miss the, the, the boat and they say, well, I don't like Trump. And it's like, Okay, you don't have to like the guy personally. You, you know, you don't have to invite him over for dinner or whatnot. But do you? But the policies that he's enacting and the things that are coming from what he's doing is that what you is that what you like, or do you more prefer you know maybe something that Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders would do, be doing? And are you aligned with those people? You know, because I I think what ends up happening is people fall in love with a certain candidate because in I've never, I've never done that. I've never like, liked that person. You know, I've always said, let's look at what, what, what they stand for and, and what, the, what they're going to do for the, for the country. And that's how, you know, I've always voted. Yep. Yep. Anyway. All right, let's get, let's pull it on back here. So, <laughs> um, we, that that's all. That was our legislative update uh, section or portion of the uh, segment of the podcast. Uh, let's now talk about some other news in the industry. Uh, this one w- was. This is quite an interesting story. Uh, I saw this on social media, a variety of places, uh, law, all kinds of uh, different opinions on this situation. But this is a story out of Portland, Oregon, uh, or excuse me, not Oregon, out of is Portland State University. Um, which would be, that's true too, but <laughs> I think it's Portland, Oregon, isn't it? It is in Portland, Oregon. I'm sorry. I'm just, the, the brain is, I'm, I'm still <laughs> fighting the computer here. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to keep moving the brain forward and, you know, talking and fighting the computer. Um, but yes, it's Portland state university. We have Portland, Oregon is the location. Okay. Uh, so this is on or near the campus where two or several, armed Portland State University officers, like most, like many big universities have their own little police uh, uh, agencies or units. Sometimes they're a, a subset or a part of a city or a county or state uh, agency, but a lot of times these universities have their own police uh, force. Um, that's the case here at Portland State University. 
basically had some people coming out of a bar. Um, there was some sort of fight that took place or disagreement. And one man was trying to basically get in, in the middle of the fight, keep his friend from continuing to get involved, defend his friend. He's basically trying to break up the fight. Okay. Um, by all accounts from family, friends, etc., this guy was a good guy. Okay. Uh, and it says here in the article, this is according to the opb.org website. I'm not even sure what that is. Uh, never been on this site before. And they say here that he was trying to be a good Samaritan. All right. And this gentleman's name is Jason Washington, by the way, the, the guy that's being the good Samaritan. So he's trying to stop this fight. He's breaking it up. What happens is that he has a gun and the gun starts coming out of a holster or a pocket. And I'll just tell you, there's a video. You can watch the video. Uh, viewer discretion is advised. Um, but to me, it just looks like this gun is in his pocket and it starts coming out of his pocket. That's where I see it. Like as you see the video, when you first see the gun, you see it's just like it's halfway out of his pocket, right? But keep in mind, they're like wrestling with one another because he's trying to break up this fight. So what happens next? Gun falls out of the pocket, hits the deck, hits the ground. He goes to reach for it. And this all happens as officers are arriving on the scene. Matthew, you were, you were a beat cop. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just like tell, walk us through what you might perceive as you arrive at the scene of an apparent fight, some sort of altercation. And one of these gentlemen who may appear to, or may not appear to be trying to break up the fight, but regardless, you see a gun fall out of his waistband or pocket and he goes to pick it up. What do you do? How do you handle that situation? Yeah. I mean, it, it, look, it's, it's difficult. And for anybody to sit back and watch a video and say, I would have done this. It's, it's disingenuous because you can't say what you would have done in that situation. You can say, you know, what you would think that you would have done or what you hope you would have done. But when you're there, you're arriving on a scene and you have all kinds of people fighting and screaming and it's outside a bar and people are intoxicated. It's chaos. yeah, it's chaos, right? And and officers get injured, they get killed, they get hurt. That you know, and so y- you're always at a high state of alert, especially when there's multiple people fighting, and you don't know who, you you know, who's fighting who, and who's trying to break it up. You don't know these people, and so um, the difficulty is is. You know, I can't sit back and second guess what they did. I can say, you know, I've been in situations where guns have appeared, um, not in this exact situation, but guns have appeared and I haven't pulled the trigger. Um, And so saying, you know, I wouldn't have done it in this case, I can't say that. But what I'm saying is um, it's it's problematic for both sides, right? It's, It's problematic for the officers who are going there to try to control a a fight that's breaking out and then see somebody reaching for a gun. Um, And it's also problematic on the other half to say, oh my God, I'm trying to break up a fight and my gun's on the ground and I don't want somebody else to pick it up and might not even see the police or might not think that the police are going to take them for a threat or as a threat and reach for it, thinking they're doing something good and then end up getting shot because they're perceived as a threat. So I think, you know, uh, it's 
tough to jump to a conclusion, um, you know, and say definitively one way or the other. What I would say is that every time that I've talked to people, you know, in concealed carry classes and tell them anytime you can avoid a fight. And I know this guy wasn't in the, wasn't, you know, basically egging on the fighter, but he was participating in by breaking, breaking it up. Um, you're bringing a gun into a fight. And the potential for this kind of thing to happen, whether it's police or whether it's somebody else um, picking it up, the bad guy picking it up, or the person you're fighting with picking up and using it against you, it, it is there. It's always there. And, and so not only, you know, we go into what kind of holster do you carry? It, how do you carry it? Um, and so it's... I, I look at this as like a training thing for both sides. The police department, I read, um, they, I, I think they just started carrying firearms. The police force there just started carrying firearms, you know, not too long prior to this incident. Um, and so maybe it was a training, maybe some training could have helped, um, you know, this from happening. And on the other hand, um, the, the concealed carrier or the guy with the firearm, I don't know if they necessarily have, uh, you know, need, need a, a training out there, but, um, to understand, you know, what's going on and how to carry your firearm and protect it and keep it from falling out and, and stay out of these situations is it's a, it's a tragic situation because, um, uh, nobody wins and nobody's right in the situation, no matter what the police get, you know, fired or whatnot. Um, it doesn't bring that guy back. And if they don't get fired and they get more training, they stay on the job, then they're going to be, you know, persecuted. And, 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 and so it, it, nobody wins in this situation. It's just, it's, we, we got to learn from it. I, I think that's mm-hmm. the, the best thing you can do. You know, there's a couple of takeaways for me here. Uh, in the, in recent weeks or months, you know, we've had some interesting incidents that are similar to this, right? You know, you had the uh, FBI agent mm-hmm. uh, who arguably shouldn't have been dancing the way he was and doing backflips while he's carrying a gun. Um, that's something you have to be conscious about. You know, uh, uh, you go to some sort of event, uh, whether it's a party or something, and you're carrying a gun and family members or friends want to participate in doing some very physical activity, uh, you might want to think twice about, you know, participating while that gun is on your person. Um, you know, so that's an opportunity to, to disarm yourself, to secure it away somewhere safe, and then you can participate in whatever, you know, like, for instance, I am not going to show up to a flag football, uh, you know, game and jump in that game while I'm carrying concealed. It's a bad <laughs> idea. It's a stupid idea, right? So, you know, that's, that, that's one takeaway. Like uh, certain activities, you got to be disciplined enough to understand that, you know, I, I should probably disarm myself before I participate in something like this. Now, this is a fight that broke out. Uh, this might be actually a situation where you might potentially end up needing that gun. Mm-hmm. If things get way out of hand. What's the big lesson learned here? You got a guy who is either carrying the gun just in his pocket. Someone did say something about a holster, but sure didn't. I mean, it just, I don't know. Okay. It could have been one of those cheap pocket holsters and they're, 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 they are a dime a dozen. There's tons of them out there and they're crap where, you know, the, it's just a little pouch, a simple pouch and the gun can just fall right out of it. Easy, willy nilly. Um, 
that's the big lesson to be learned here. And also with that FBI agent. Okay. I mean, number one, maybe don't participate in those crazy activities. Number two, make sure you have a holster that can hold that gun, that can retain that gun, even if you are in some sort of fight or altercation. That is Mm -hmm. key. Like that's got to, that has got to happen. Uh, I actually, I pulled this off of me just a little bit ago. Um, right here, I got my P365 in a gray gun slash Filster collaboration holster. Um, this is the Filster classic holster, uh, but gray guns, you see the logo there. Anyone that's familiar with gray guns, they make a lot of aftermarket parts for SIG sour guns. Um, this is a great holster. It's got those, those two loops. It hold, it stays on the belt. Like it's not going to come off and the retention on the holster itself is really good, especially in the appendix position. You got a little bit of gut like me, like your gut's going to keep that thing in there. <laughs> you know, um, like you gotta have, you got, you gotta have quality gear. You have it, to, it's a necessity. And you know what, uh, you know, I, I didn't, I, I'll tell this story um, real quick because it's very similar to what happened and, and it, it should you kind of ring some bells for some people and, and especially for the story. Um, a situation I had where an officer was involved in a fight with somebody um, and, and I ended up in the fight with him trying to take this guy into custody. Well, this guy, this, this officer was carrying a backup firearm. And he was carrying an ankle holster that wasn't secure enough. And the, the gun ends up going mm-hmm. flying out. So now we're fighting with this guy. And all of a sudden, uh, uh, there's a gun that, that's produced. And, and I don't know if it comes from the suspect or, or the officer who's fighting. You know, we're fighting. Um, I don't have the time to say, hey, is this your gun? Is this your backup gun? So, um, so basically, right. you know, what ends up happening is this, this suspect who now sees a firearm on the ground is now trying to get the firearms. So it's not always a situation where, you know, um, it's something that you're thinking about, but you always have to know that that whenever you're in a fight, that that firearm, you're bringing a a firearm into that fight. And and unless you train on firearm retention or you, you know, even, even with a good holster, um, unless you understand that, you know, a, a little bit at least about firearm retention, and you get involved in a grappling fight or a hand-to-hand fight, the potential for that gun to fall out of the holster, to be pulled out of the holster and get in somebody else's hands, or tragically something like this to happen is there. So always have that in the back of your mind um, because things happen and, and it happens so quickly. And who, you know, like I said, who cares who's right or wrong? At the end of the day, this, this guy is dead. And nothing's right. going to bring him back. So, um, so we got to learn lessons from from situations like this. Yeah. I, I don't blame the the cops in this situation. I mean, there there are definitely lessons to be learned. I guarantee you, officers in that agency and elsewhere are looking at that, and you know, like those are anytime you have an officer involved shooting, regardless of the outcome of it, like they are always learning experiences. And those agencies look at those and they're seeing what they can learn from that. Yeah, there's probably, you know, could there have been maybe something done differently in that situation? Yeah, maybe. I'm not going to go into into it anymore at this point because the one other point I want to make sure I, I hit on is, is, is just how another takeaway for me is to maybe stop and pause. It, like assuming you are the guy in this position or the FBI agent, okay? In both instances, something bad happened 
to the person involved, in the case of the FBI agent, gun falls out of holster as he does backflip. He reacts quickly because he sees gun on floor and goes, oh, crap, that's my gun. And he grabs at it far too quickly. Thus, accidentally, you know, just because he's so quick and hasty about grabbing the gun, the trigger is pulled, the gun fires, someone is injured. He is facing felony charges, although I just heard yesterday that they have arrived at some sort of uh, 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 plea bargain, okay, which doesn't surprise me. Um, and I don't necessarily think that that guy should have his ru- his life entirely ruined um, over, over that incident. Uh, it was definitely a serious uh, misstep, but it's not like he's a career criminal. You know, like I know some people are like, he should pay the ultimate price. And I'm like, yeah, you, you know what? And I know people will say how the justice system is not fair and it's, it's biased and stuff because an FBI agent might get treated differently than some other dude off the street. Well, that's true because you know, because the justice system is also intended to be situationally dependent and and specific to certain situations and circumstances, meaning you don't necessarily have to, yeah. And maybe I know some people out there would disagree with me on this, but you don't necessarily need to punish a guy, you know, with 20 years of jail time or whatever it might be. It's a felony charge that this uh, FBI agent was chart was hit with, and that could carry a fairly lengthy sentence. Um, you don't necessarily have to ruin his entire life. You know, no one got killed. Okay. That's fortunate. He's lucky. A dude get, did get wounded in the leg somewhat seriously. Yeah. That's also, that's unfortunate. That's too bad. Okay. It shouldn't have happened, but it's not like you have to ruin a guy's life over something like that. But he was too hasty in picking up the gun. This other guy, his gun falls out of his pocket and he quickly, and you've watched the video, you can see instantly he, he goes to reach for the gun. Cops arriving on the scene, also perhaps hasty. I don't know. It, you, 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 I'm not, I wasn't in that, in that spot. I wasn't in that position. But all I know is that you got a guy that instantly starts grabbing for the gun and it gets himself shot. I'm reminded of a story we talked about in the podcast too, where a father was placing his child or trying to comfort his child in the backseat uh, car seat. And he was carrying in a shoulder holster revolver. And that revolver, as he leaned over in the car, began to fall from the holster. And he hastily grabbed for it. And his thumb went on the trigger, causing the gun to fire. He shot himself in the gut or the chest. And he died. Mm-hmm. So the, the big takeaway here is you're carrying a gun. You're handling a gun. Don't be hasty. Okay, and that doesn't mean that we can't be fast when we need to be fast. But when a gun falls or something happens with it we don't expect, we need to maybe stop, pause, and think about it a minute and before we before we react to it. We gotta try to not instantly react, if that makes sense. Easier said than done, probably, I imagine, right? Mm-hmm. But with training, I think it gets a little bit easier, you know. I've been in training situations and things get dropped. And you just have to tell yourself, okay, it's okay. Let it drop. Let it hit the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I guarantee you, I mean, if that guy's gun hit the floor and he didn't grab for it, I, I don't think it would have ended ended the same way. I think he got shot because he grabbed for the gun. Yeah, I, I, I believe right? so. Now, it's understandable why you'd grab for the gun. Oh, crap, that gun fell in my pocket, and I don't want somebody else to get it, potentially. I'm in this fight. Yeah, get that. We got to be... This is, we got to be thinking up here in the brain. 
That's a tough situation. Here's another tough, tough situation. Out of, again, my home state, this is Boise, Idaho. Um, a couple of weekends, I think two weekends ago, there was a uh, birthday party taking place. A three-year-old girl. Um, I think, was it the three-year-old that was, uh, it actually, I don't know if it says what the age of the girl was who was having the birthday party, okay? But we have a number of young girls or children participating in this birthday party. We have a number of adults there that are obviously, you know, they're there with their kids. Um, it, it occurred at, a, at, an, at an apartment complex. It was Saturday evening. Um, a man who had been recently ejected or removed from the complex, the apartment complex, he had been living there temporarily and it was time for him to go. And uh, he was not happy about that. He returned to the apartment complex that Saturday evening with a knife and began stabbing uh, children and adults at this birthday party. A three-year-old girl was among the nine people stabbed uh, and died from her injuries. Other children were seriously uh, injured in the attack. Brazen, bold, out-of-nowhere attack. Uh, this is one of those things that I can't even imagine being in, Matthew. Yeah. Uh, like, you just don't see this coming. You're at your kid's birthday party, and you don't even have a relation to this guy. Like, it, mm-hmm. it comes out of nowhere. Imagine yeah. yourself in that situation. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's horrific, right? I mean, anybody who has kids, even if you don't have kids, I mean, it's just horrific to think about this. Um, and, and it kind of underscores what, in my mind, you know, when I, when I take my daughter places and, and uh, you know, I'm surrounded by other parents and things like that. And I know pretty much I'm the only person caring out of all these people, right? And, and, um, and I, I, I take that kind of seriously always, um, but even more so when, I, when I'm in these situations because I realize that, um, you know, I'm not out amongst pub, you, you know, when you carry and you're out amongst adults in, in public, you realize, okay, I might have to intervene on the behalf of somebody. When you're around a bunch of kids and parents who you pretty much know are not caring and their heads are not in it, they're, they're, you know, any which their their uh, situational awareness is zero, right? Totally. Um, you are totally the only person there that that has any concept of what it's going to take to keep something. If if this were to happen, to keep these kids alive and to, and, and to protect them. So for me, it's like when I'm out at these places, taking my daughter someplace. I, I'm especially vigilant and especially um, aware of the surroundings because, you know, you might not think that this, you're going to some kid's apartment, this apartment complex to a kid's birthday party. You don't know the backstory of all those people that are in that apartment complex. You wouldn't think that, you know, something like this is going to happen. And then out of nowhere, this dude shows up and everybody's there having fun. And there's not one person that's situationally aware and now you have all these vulnerable kids who can't defend themselves um and so uh, you know it's just it's a horrific uh it's a horrific scene i can't even imagine not only the the girl who died but the other kids who are traumatized by this it's just uh, horrible you know just horrible And, and looking at this dude is just you know you could tell this guy has no regard for, for life. I mean, he has no concern. Right. 
Yeah. It, some of these kids are traumatized for life. You know, like they, oh, they will never think of a birthday party or, or, or go to one the same way, or, you know, they just, their lives are changed forever. It's amazing. You know, what, what a person can do, uh, particularly a crazy person or an outraged person or a skilled person with a knife in very short order with people that uh, can't defend themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got nine people stabbed in, in a matter of minutes or even seconds, uh, some of them very seriously. And I, that was my thought. I was just like, oh, man, you know, uh, why couldn't have somebody been there that was prepared, mm-hmm. was armed, was paying attention? You know, was ready to respond. Oh, or possibly, so- or possibly had like a, a med kit on them, or turn. You know, oh, who knows? Sure. You know, I mean, there's multiple injuries. You, you're probably not carrying 15 different, you know, trauma kits on your body, but maybe you save one or two. You know, who knows? Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's such a, it's such a horrific story, and and it's not, it's not unique. You know, it's not unique, and that's the sad thing. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it does say here at the bottom of the story that three adults were also wounded while trying to intervene. So, you know, the adults, I mean, these are their kids getting stabbed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so sad. It seems that he was, that he was targeting the children, you know, as opposed to tar- targeting the adults. Mm-hmm. The adults got injured when they intervened. And it's just, it's sad that, you know, they, they, they didn't, they weren't better able to properly intervene. Uh, I, I got an, in an, an exchange the other day online. Uh, with someone that was basically saying, well, why do you need to have a gun at such and such place at such and such time of the day in such and such circumstance? Like it's a safe place. It's a safe, you know, area or part of town or community. Um, it's middle of the day uh, or early morning, whatever. Like we just had this little kind of back and forth debate, you know, someone that's kind of not particularly pro gun, you know, kind of one of those typical things. And they're like, why, why do you need to have a gun with you all the time? And my response was because you, because bad things happen to good people at any time of day, in any location, in all kinds of circumstances and situations, mm-hmm. all the time. I'm sorry to say that. Yeah, I mean, it's not like, I mean, it's true that there are times, there are places you go, at certain times of the day. You know, you're taking your daughter to some gymnastics class or whatever, right? Like, you're not thinking or expecting necessarily that that's the time and the day and the place that an active shooter is going to walk in and start shooting the place up or a dude with a knife like that. Yeah. I mean, I know you, Matthew, and you're still being, you're being aware, you're keeping an eye on things, you're armed, whatever it is, but it's not, you know, you're, you're still not, it's not like you're at, on red alert. Like, uh, Oh, so right. it's down, you know, like, like it's not like I'm in a, a downtown Columbus where there's constant gang violence and shootings where you're 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 definitely, you know, heightened uh, sense of, you know, um, you know, danger is there. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and, but that's the thing that kills me is that it's not only anti-gun people or people that don't uh, don't carry. It's I, I, I hear this from people that carry firearms that say, well, I don't carry all the time. I don't carry it places that, you know, are safe. I only carry it dangerous or I, I don't carry with one in the chamber only certain places. If I'm going to go someplace that's dangerous, then I, then I put one in the chamber. And it's like, you have the wrong mindset. And it's just, for me, 
I think it's it's misunderstanding the reason why you carry a firearm, and it's misunderstanding um, the the possibility of the all the potential of 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 danger that is around you constantly, no matter where you are. The same is true with uh, carrying, you know, some little IFAC or med kit or something with you. I mean, I I've talked before about how I almost all the time I have got a little ankle IFAC on me. Uh, or something close at hand, okay, to where, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm not expecting to have to use that today. And I've even had questions asked of me, well, why do you wear that all the time? Because, you know, like, because you never know the time or the place where it's going to be needed. Um, I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, there was one day I was driving someplace um, in in the afternoon, uh, running some errands, and had an accident scene occur in front of me that did not have the med kit with me. That was a, one of those instances where I did not happen to have it. And you know what? The accident wasn't that severe. No one got seriously hurt, but could they have? Sure. And would I have been less prepared uh, or, or less able to potentially, you know, stop someone's bleeding or something because I didn't, you know, I, I, I didn't have the tools with me right now. Could have still improvised potentially, but it's less ideal than if we just have the tools. So here's my thought process relating to this story is we need to separate the tools and the mindset a little bit in that just, you know, too many people link the two, meaning that because the mindset is, well, I'm not going to this extremely dangerous place. Therefore, I don't need the tool. No, no, no. I think that's backwards. Always carry the tools and then go with the appropriate mindset because you don't have to be on red alert all the time. It's true. It's exhausting, it's tiring, and it's unnecessary. But also it can be trained into people that in an instant you can flip that switch and be ready to go. But you can't be ready to go if you don't have the tools with you. Right? So always carry the tools, but but wear the appropriate mindset based on the circumstances or the situation. And when necessary... Flip that switch. Okay. Justified stories. Justified saves today. On the podcast, Wild Night, it says, kidnapping suspects arrested after shootout with hostages family in Northeast Houston. Eyewitness News, ABC 13, abc13.com, reporting out of Houston, Texas. You had two kidnapping suspects who are now in custody after getting into a shootout with the family of one of their hostages in a Northeast Houston neighborhood, police say. Authorities stated that this started on DeSoto Street, where two men were kidnapped by at least three people in a white Ford Explorer. The the kidnappers then took the hostages to a home. That house is also where one of the hostages live. The suspects tried to get into the home, but the hostages' family got into a shootout with them. Uh, Officials say that's when the kidnappers took off. Uh, Police say that the suspects kicked the hostages out of their SUV at a convenience store and left them there. This is kind of crazy. I mean, the the title of the story says Wild Night, right? But it's crazy because you have a couple of guys kidnapped or a couple people kidnapped, taken to the home of one of them, (laughs) right? And the family there gets into a shootout with the suspects, but that shootout doesn't necessarily, like, like the kidnappers still escape with... (laughs) the kidnapped family members, (laughs) right? Now, fortunately, they get dumped at a convenience store. 
Um, and the reason they got the kidnappers got caught is because they police uh, saw them driving erratically and pulled them over after a short uh, uh, high speed chase. So, whew, crazy story here. Yeah, guess it, guessing they they kidnapped these people. They were known, you know, that 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 they, 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 knew they had something. Yeah, they were. Yeah. It wasn't a random thing. They and they took them to their home to, you know, they probably had drugs or, you know, whatever they knew that they had or thought that they had at their home, and they get there and then they're like, oh boy, we're we're getting confronted by these people's families that are mm-hmm. that's armed, and we don't know. It's probably not like mom and dad. It's probably like cause I live with cousins and, you know, probably that's what I'm guessing. And they all get in the shootout and then they're like, oh, let's get out of here. We got these dudes in here. Let's just get rid of them. Um, cause they're probably going to come after us. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking this is probably, you know, gang related or drug yeah, related. Yeah. I, uh, most yeah. of this kind of crazy stuff is, but like, <laughs> it, it just shows like, you know, maybe you're not the one that's getting, uh, that's, that's being kidnapped, but what if you live near these people or what if you're driving down the street while this car takes off and there's gunfire exchange? I mean, you got to think about these these types of things. And, and, you know, you don't want to get caught in a situation um, where you're in danger. So, and that's, that kind of goes to kind of uh, avoiding places that might lend themselves to things like this. Like we kind of talked about like those areas that, you know, you know, nothing bad, nothing good happens, you know, nothing good happens at three o'clock in the morning, you know, in on shady lane, you know what I mean? Like don't go there. Right. And so you can probably avoid some of these types of things, but yeah, this was a crazy one. Oh yeah, totally. So there's our first uh, justified safe story of the day. Uh, here's another good one. Arrested burglars he- held at gunpoint. And this occurred uh, this last Actually, I think it's two Wednesdays ago now. Keep in mind, we had some of these stories saved from two weeks ago. Uh, this is reported in the Roan County News. Roan, RoanCounty.com uh, is where you could find this story. And according to the Roan County Sheriff's Office, uh, the, a homeowner uh, stated he walked out to the garage of his home and saw a female suspect sitting sitting on the steps and immediately went back into the house to get his gun. The homeowner stated that he came back to the garage, a male, but by the way, this would be the first learning point, right? <laughs> like you don't have to go back to confront the situation, right? But that's what this guy chose to do. So let's go on with the story. The homeowner stated as he came back to the garage, a male suspect was walking down the steps coming from the bonus room located over the garage area. The homeowner stated he then held both subjects there until deputies could arrive on scene. The two suspects, a 28-year-old female and 30-year-old male, uh, the the female subject stated she thought the male suspect was renting the property. The male subject stated he went into the house through the front door, which was unlocked. Hmm. Lock your doors. <laughs> uh, but now it actually gets more interesting because then it says that a garage door remote was found on the male suspect. The homeowner stated the remote was kept on the visor of his Jeep, which was in the driveway, and that it was, again, also unlocked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so take it away, Matthew. Like what else you got, buddy? Crimes of opportunity, man. This, this, these dudes, tweakers going around, they try, listen, people try car doors. They're, they go into what's 
the simplest, they're, they're, criminals are like water. They go to the path of least resistance, right? So they find a door that's open. They know people leave their, their uh, garage door openers in there. They hit the garage door opener. They get whatever tools or whatever they can get that they can sell. And, um, and yeah, and it's amazing how quickly these people can come up with like pretty decent stories. Like, oh, I, I, I thought he was renting this place or, you know, <laughs> that or I, I got this, you know, I used to live here or whatever. And they believe it, you know, almost. But, um, but yeah, like lock your doors. That's the simplest thing. Don't leave your, if you leave your car out on the street and it's parked right in your driveway, don't leave your garage door opener in there. I mean, you're, you're giving them access to your garage door and then, you know, they can close it and work on trying to get into your inside of your home by, by defeating your interior door. Um, so just, I mean, do, do some common sense, like analysis of the security around your home, like with lights and things like this, because I guarantee you if this dude's, I can't guarantee you, but I would imagine that if this guy's Jeep was locked and his front door was locked, um, that this situation probably would have never happened to him. They would have gone down the street, found the next car. Um, so. Yep. Totally agree. And once again, you know, that he had the opportunity to go back into his house, retrieve his firearm. That would have also been the opportunity to secure the house. Mm -hmm. Right. Lock the garage door, lock the front door, lock the back door. You know, after you've retrieved your gun, lock the doors. Be ready to defend yourself if, if necessary. Because, I mean, while we're reading the story after the fact and we're going, hey, you know what? It all ended up just fine. You know, these guys were arrested and they're going to jail and homeowner's happy and he'll go on his merry, merry way. Uh, just imagine if that male suspect coming down the stairs from the bonus room has a weapon or a gun in his hand. And next thing you know, you're in a shootout. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you know, they just, the point is it increases any, any time you go to where the potential threat is when you don't necessarily have to, you increase the odds dramatically that, you could yourself get hurt or killed or charged with something potentially because you made a mistake, right? So or not I, even or not even make a mistake and still get charged and have to go through you know the process happens. of clearing your name when you know when you yep. didn't do anything wrong. So how about that the yeah. uh, Santa, um, mm-hmm. uh, Santa shooter? Yeah, that we interviewed Marcus. on the podcast a Marcus. month or two ago. Yeah, Mark. right, Marcus Weldon. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't do anything wrong, was threatened, fired back, and he was charged. <laughs> so crap yeah. happens, you know. Any now his situation totally different. My point is how you know we we share these stories on a weekly basis where the this same lesson, and, and I know it's like it's probably like beating a dead horse, but if we didn't keep finding these stories out there, we'd probably stop talking about it. Here's a crazy one. Mom shoots man trying to steal SUV with her kids inside. Mm. I think this also happened in Texas. I think in Dallas instead of Houston, uh, as opposed to that first story we shared. Now, last one was Roan County. I don't know where Roan County is, but it's in Tennessee somewhere, in case you were wondering. So in Dallas, uh, two, I think it's two Wednesday nights ago now, um, a, ma- a mother shot a man who tried to steal her SUV while her two toddlers were still inside the vehicle. 
Wednesday night. Happened around 10 p.m. outside a Shell service station in the 100 block of West Camp Wisdom Road. Hopefully none of you live near there. It happened so fast, said the woman, who asked to be identified as Michelle because she feared for her, her family's safety. Not even five minutes, not even five minutes. It happened so fast. She asked yeah. us not, this is talking about from the news uh, perspective. She asked us not to show her face on camera as she re- recounted the incident. So this is how it went down. Mother stepped inside the gas station. A man climbed into the driver's seat and tried to drive away with her car. She noticed this. Her two-year-old and four-year-old children were still in the back seat. She jumped into the back of the vehicle and ordered the man to stop the car. My two babies were still back there. And she was asking the man, hey, my kids are back back here. Stop. Pull over. Pull over. He's not even acknowledging anything about my kids. She says she tried to push the gear into park as the car rolled down the parking lot. When he refused to stop, she pulled a gun from the glove box and shot the man in the head. I remember seeing another... Uh, article somewhere and he then drove the suv into a utility pole according to police when i see that he's not trying to stop he kept hitting the gas i went toward my glove compartment grabbed my gun and then fired at him from the side michelle the mother and her children were unharmed uh so that is i mean i can't even imagine (laughs) isn't there one of those stories it's like wow like you just can't make this stuff up that's that's and that's one of my biggest fears or, you know, because, um, your, your child's strapped in the backseat, right. And and they're vulnerable. They can't, they couldn't defend themselves if they, if they tried. Right. And so, um, that's one of my biggest fears. And, And when I, whenever I go to like get gas or something and my daughter's back there, I'm like, you know, I'm basically doing laps around my car, watching everything because that's, you are so vulnerable right there. Um, and and this woman does like pretty much everything that she could before she ends up shooting this guy, which is awesome. I mean, she tries to do whatever she can to give this guy the out to just get away and just stop doing what you're doing. Um, I guess the problem I had is obviously the big one is the firearms in the glove box. Right. And so Mm -hmm. it's not accessible to her until she actually reaches into the glove box. And if this dude would have reached in the glove box first, now she has no way to protect herself and her kids. Um, yeah. And so that, that's one thing. Um, you know, so it's just, I, I don't know. I think, um, that to me was a big, a big red flag and kind of a, a reason why you should carry on your person. And even I see a lot of people carrying with, um, like holster or car mounted holsters. Another reason why, you know, if you get out and that, that gun's still in the car. And so you have to get back to the car, get to that gun before you can use it. So how about this, dude, she left her kids in the car. Okay. Now I, I'm not, I'm not, okay. You know what? I'm a parent. I'm a parent of, I'm a, I'm a dad of five kids. Have I ever left my kids in the car for like a second or two or 30? Yeah, I have. Uh, in appropriate contexts. Um, I want that to be clear, but, uh, I mean, it's 10 o'clock at night at a gas station mm-hmm. in a pretty big city. Anything can go down in a place like that at 10 PM. Okay? Yeah. You're leaving your two year old and your four year old in the car. How about this? You're leaving your four-year-old who is absolutely capable of helping themselves out of their seat, mm-hmm. getting in around the vehicle and getting into that glove box and getting that gun. Exactly. This is a problem. 
Okay. It's not just that this mother tactically had issues. She had safety issues going on here as well. I was really disappointed when I read this. This is an irresponsible gun owner. I'm sorry to say it that way. Like, I'm glad it ended up the way it did. I'm glad that she was able to, def- you know, to take her responsibility for herself and her children in her own hands and put a stop to this attempted carjacking slash kidnapping. I'm glad it ended the way it did. And I think the dude survived, even though he got shot in the head. Um, serious condition or whatever, but I don't, it sounded like it, you know, was not a... a lethal wound or whatever um you'd be surprised how often well maybe not matthew because matthew probably knows better than most people but it's amazing how how many people can get shot in the head or face and survive right yeah so um i'm glad it ended up the way it did but there's some serious problems here so um yeah carry that gun on your person responsibly in an appropriate holster and don't leave your kids in the vehicle unlocked at night at a gas mm-hmm. station. <laughs> Last justified save story. Why don't you uh, – uh, actually, no, this was my story. I should have let you explain uh, one of those other ones. But <laughs> uh, this happened in Colorado just last week, uh, just before the, the 4th of July. Uh, this is a, a crazy story. They're all crazy. <laughs> That's what's crazy about this this week. It seems like every story is crazy. A former Alabama police officer, Wesley Maddox, put an end to a man's shooting spree in the National Forest of Colorado. Okay. This actually happened in Douglas County, Colorado. That is not far from where I live. A retired police officer used an AR-15 to stop a gunman who had been shooting at passing cars on July 2nd. The incident began when police received a call about a carjacking after a 28-year-old Austin Benson stole a blue blue Mazda hatchback in El Paso County. That's just kind of south of Douglas County. So he's now worked his way north, and he's come his way, his way into Douglas County. Benson drove the car up to Rampart Range Road, where he began shooting at random passing vehicles. This is a popular outdoors location. There's camping sites, and there's, you know, a lot of outdoors activities. People, You know, this is just before the, the 4th, and it's in National Forest, and it's in an area where people commonly are, and they're, they're outdoors enjoying themselves. Uh, Douglas County deputies interviewed numerous people who told them they'd been shot at from the Mazda car, which was running on only three tires. The first victim told deputies that a white male uh, flagged down their car as they passed. He was standing next to a Mazda with one flat tire. But when the good Samaritans who stopped to help him saw he was carrying a gun, they sped away. That was a good choice. Authorities said Benson got back into his car and drove further up Rampart Range Road, where he encountered two other victims whom he threatened with a pistol. The second victim told police that Benson shot in his direction. The third victim said Benson tried to fire his gun at him, but the weapon did not discharge. However, one couple camping with their grandchildren told deputies that they had to duck when Benson shot at their truck. Benson's shooting spree ended shortly after he targeted a campsite at Devil's Head Campground. I've been there. (laughs) I know where this is at. This is crazy. And you would, it's another one of those things. It's like you would not expect you're, you're out there camping, doing your thing. And uh, yeah, you know, it's just kind of crazy. I might be more thinking about bears as opposed to some random dude driving up the road, shooting at people as he passed by. Um, he targeted this campsite at Devil's Head Campground. Uh, it happened to be that a retired 51-year-old officer was there with his wife. Uh, the, the suspect pulled into the campsite 
and began yelling at them. Wesley Maddox, the retired cop, told deputies that when he approached the Mazda to find out what the man wanted, Benson pointed a rifle at him and told him to get him water and that the law was after him. The former officer said he returned to his camper, gave his wife a handgun, told her to take cover. Then he grabbed an AR-15 rifle for himself. I would like to think that, that pistol he gave his wife was the one that he had on him. Mm-hmm. Right? And I, I'd like to, I need to track, we need to track this guy down because <laughs> we need to ask him about this. Okay? Think about this. You, you, all you know is a guy pulls up into your campsite, starts yelling at you, you cautiously approach. He says, I need water and points a rifle at you. Now, you're maybe this cop or this person that is carrying a gun on your person. And in theory, you could just draw and shoot him, right? No. This guy plays it cool, says, all right, I'll get you your water. Goes back into the camper, hands his handgun to his wife, says, take cover. Here's a gun in case you need it. Goes and retrieves the AR-15. This is, I mean, this is, this is, this is real. This just happened last week. It's crazy to me. Uh, he then goes back. Okay. He took up a, a position behind the Mazda car and ordered Benson to drop his weapon. But Benson shot at him and his camper as he began to drive away. Maddox, the retired cop, returned fire. The former officer told deputies that during the gunfight, he moved away from his truck to direct Benson's fire away from his camper where his wife was hiding. Benson drove into a tree, but then fired a few more rounds at Maddox. Maddox told deputies he believed he was out of ammunition in his rifle. I don't know how big his mag was, but if he had a 30-rounder, he fired a lot of rounds. <laughs> so he went to his truck and grabbed a second AR-15. <laughs> okay? It gets better and better. Maddox said he fired one more shot at the Mazda to see if he'd get a reaction because he didn't see any movement inside the car. At that time, or around that time, Manitou Springs police officers arrived at the campsite and arrested Benson. He had been shot several times and had wounds to his face and his arm. They found a loaded pistol in his car when he took him into custody. Uh, Maddox nor his wife were injured during the incident, and Benson has been charged with six counts of attempted first-degree murder and one count of attempted aggravated robbery. Whew. Yeah. (laughs) That's why we saved the best for last, because that is crazy. Yeah. I mean, I, the thing that, well, a couple of things that stood out to me, um, was, was Maddox, you know, the, the retired police officers, um, knowledge to say, look, if I draw on this guy, I, I, there's a possibility that I lose this, this gunfight. Right. So let me use, you know, uh, you know, let me bide my time till I can get to a better position, make sure my wife is is safe and then get an appropriate firearm that I can, you know, get, get, uh, get to this guy at distance. Right. And so I think that was, that's definitely something that shows a, a level of understanding of the firearms that he has with him, you know, their, their abilities, their, their, um, capacity, not capacity, but you know, their, um, their range and things like that in his own ability, you know, saying, if I try to draw on this guy, I, I might, you know, this guy has a firearm. I, I'm not going to be able to outdraw this guy. Um, and so that, I think, that right there was pretty good. Him moving away from 
the uh, the trailer to draw fire away from his wife, knowing that, you know, that she would be in there and, and possibly struck by stray bullets. Awesome. You know, another uh, very good technique or tactical mindset that, you know, is showing through. Um, and so I think like these types of things um, that we talk about where people are saying, or, or we say like get extra training and some people will say, well, you know, I, I, I'm a good shooter. Or I, 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 you know, I can do this or that. And it's, it's situation. It's, it, the training might not make you any better as far as like, you might have reached a p- plateau where you're a very competent shooter and maybe the extra training isn't going to make you, your groups any smaller or make you any quicker on your draw. But ta- if you can get to classes that, that test your tactical mindset or, or give you ideas of, you know, how to survive actual shootings or how to survive a tactical scenario that plays through in situations like this where he does things a certain way that make it easier for him to survive and he doesn't end up getting injured at all. Um, so, you know, so maybe somebody else would have, would have been able to, you know, I got a sub second draw. I can draw and shoot this guy. Well, maybe they do get a sub second draw. They get off a couple rounds, they shoot the guy, but he also gets a couple rounds on him. Uh, you know, on that guy. So it, I think it's, it's uh, the, the tactical mindset is so important in surviving these types of weird yeah. scenarios. So Jeremy comments here, crazy, not one, but two AR-15s. Wow. <laughs> um, no, seriously. I mean, this dude was prepared. So one of the ARs was in the camper, right? Because, I mean, that's what it says. He went into the camper, handed a handgun to his wife, grabbed an AR-15, then went out and ordered the dude to get out of his car. After shots were exchanged and he then thought he was out, he went to the truck and grabbed a second AR-15 that he had staged there. Uh, that's just remarkable. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not very often that you actually see somebody. We, we hear talk about truck guns and guns that people have stowed away in the vehicle for, I don't know, in case of an active shooter situation. They're like, they're, like they're going to run and grab that gun and then run to the active shooting and put the guy down. Not very likely, nor is it probably necessarily even advised. Now, I'm also kind of the person that likes having options, okay? So it's not like I wouldn't have a truck gun. It's just that that's likely not going to be the thing that you ever have to use. This dude had to use his truck gun. It's crazy. Um, also, so often we hear that, you know, there's no purpose. There's no good reason for having AR-15s, uh, that, that they're only for killing people, that only, you know, mass murderers and gangsters use these things. <laughs> and yet I, I'm start, I've, I've been kind of compiling, uh, not perfectly. I need to go back and maybe audit my list. But I've got a pretty good list going of where, Law-abiding citizens used AR-15s or AK-47s or similar, you know, assault-type weapons to defend themselves successfully. It's not common, but it does happen. And so, yeah, guess what? Uh, They do serve a purpose. So, there you have it. That's our justified saves and all the rest of our news stories for this week's episode. Matthew, you got anything final to add? I, how could I add anything to that? It's, <laughs> it's a good, good, uh, good way to wrap it up. Yeah, man. 
Yeah, once again, I'm looking forward to seeing you tomorrow, um, and we'll be seeing students on Friday, starting Friday for three days, the Triple Guardian course. Um, last minute, I, I was watch. I, I checked while we were recording just to see if anybody happened to take one of those last spots, and not quite, so it's still there. ConcealedCarry.com forward slash Ohio Triple Guardian 2018 to get signed up. Today's episode is brought to you by our ConcealedCarry.com two new free training courses online. The Grip Development Course with Mike Hughes. You can check that out at concealedcarry.com forward slash grip course. And also the Ultimate Dry Fire Training Program with John Wallace. Concealedcarry.com forward slash dry fire course. Check those out today. Free online training courses. I know you're going to like them. Uh, We've worked hard to get that stuff uh, put together and partnered up with these guys to do this. Uh, Great content in a training, you know, module format for you to, to take in and make yourself hopefully a little bit better, a little bit more prepared. Well, we hope that uh, it's helpful for you guys. So anyway, with that, we got to wrap it up. Matthew, thank you for doing this with me today. Thank you, sir. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. <laughs> I will have to work hard and fast right now to get everything ready so I can be at the airport at 4 a.m. Mm, my favorite. so nice anyway folks take care a reminder to all of you out there to train right train often and train safe so you can fight hard fight fast and fight true take care that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws the concealed carry podcast concealed carry inc concealed carry.com and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm related incidents and laws but things can be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this we cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast